birthday? It is not my birthday. That's right. It's Rebbe and Rebbe's anniversary. So, before we get to the Tanya, um, I figured I would tell you some stories. And if you don't like me telling you stories, that's okay. There's a you know, bin somewhere where you can write your complaints and stick it in. And there's someone that collects it from time to time. The, the Rebbe, um, someone once came to the Rebbe um, in Yechid's audience, working on growing in Torah and mitzvahs, and his wife was very close. Um, and the reason his wife was very close was um, because she thought the whole thing was stupid. Like, why does he have to become more from and more from and more from? And so he wanted the rep to, like, you know, side with him and, like, tell his wife that, you know, more from the better. Because that's what works, right? From there. Silence is agreement, or silence is you're reserving the right to disagree for later? No, second. Okay. Okay. So the, um, so the, Re- so, so, so the Rebbe tells him, you know, the reason why your wife is opposed is because she feels that it's all actually about Hashem, and like Hashem is real, and Hashem wants something, or Hashem, you know, it's about you and your desire to be like, whatever, holier than thou, or whatever, and like, she, she have to like, you know, inconvenience her life so that you can have a sort of nature. That's what the Rebbe told him. Told him. Look, it really serious. you should take one mitzvah and really try to do that mitzvah for, you know, not for your own ego. And so this person, he said, well, what, what mitzvah would the Rebbe, you know, work on that for like a month and see how it goes. The Rebbe said, and he says, Rebbe, what mitzvah would you recommend? And so the Rebbe went to the bookcase and took out the Rambam and he read them the halacha that says that one's supposed to honor one's wife more than oneself. He says, why don't you start with that for a month and see how it goes? So that's the Rebbe's attitude about marriage, just generally speaking. So when the Rebbe was in France, I believe, um, honor your wife more, more than yourself. The halacha is that one is required to honor one's wife more than the honor they expect for themselves. So however much respect and dignity you, a man thinks he's entitled to, he should treat his wife. Right, and that's a halacha. That's not like, you know, extra piety. That's like right there with like, thou shall not steal. So one time in France, someone came to the, someone realized that the Rebbe's last name is Schneerson, so he's probably related to the previous Rebbe. So he asked the Rebbe, are you related? This person knew the Rebbe and the Rebbe's in like, we're friendly with them. And says, are you related to the previous Rebbe? I mean, it wasn't the previous Rebbe at the time, it was the Lubavitch Rebbe at the time. And so the Rebbe, with tremendous pride, says, said Musya, meaning his wife, is his daughter. Not like I'm his son-in-law. The Rebbe had a tremendous sense of... of he said Musia, my wife? No, he said Musia. Musia is Ein Tocht. But once again... The guy knew both of them. They were friendly. They were neighborly. Like, you know. No, but they know that they were husband and wife? Yes. But th- there's a way about speaking about somebody where like you feel honored to be part of their life and there's a way of speaking with someone where like, they're part of your life. There's a very big difference between those two. And that was, that was the Rebbe's attitude to Rebbetzin all the time. Um, that the Rebbe, so much so, that when the Rebbetzin passed away, the Rebbe was unsure whether he's allowed to continue being Rebbe. Because he felt that he's only Rebbe in the marriage of his wife. And so if he's not still considered to be her husband, because after she passed, then he's not really allowed to be the Rebbe. And he asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said that regarding many halachas, even after the passing of one's wife, the husband is still considered to be a husband. And so therefore the Rebbe's like, okay, continue to be Rebbe. What? 
I think it was Rav Pekarsky, who's Rosh Hashim in 770. Rav Asherah? Yes. So. Okay, and, Rav's a little biased. He's biased, but he wants the Rabbi to be Rabbi. Right. Actually, the, the, Rav, the Rav was a Gera Chassid. Oh, really? Yeah, the Rosh Hashim in 770. Gera? What? Pekarsky is Gera? Yeah. The Rosh Hashim, that's Pekarsky, yeah. Yeah, the Rosh Hashim in seven seventy was a Gera Chassid. How interesting! He was also the he, whenever the Rebbe had a halacha question, he asked him instead of a Lubavitcher. So, anyway, the point is, um, as as holy as the Rebbe is and the Rebbetzin is, um, the thing the thing is that we're supposed to obviously learn things, and um, we can learn about the importance of treating our spouse with tremendous respect and dignity. Um, because unfortunately, many times in marriages, what ends up happening is a person starts to feel possessive as if this person is mine, um, you know, they're here to enhance my life in whatever way, shape, or form, when really the opposite should be the idea. All right. Okay, now we're talking about positive mitzvahs and love of Hashem. That's what we're doing, right? Okay. Okay, so I want to summarize the main point that we discussed on last Wednesday, and then we're going to go into details. There are fewer people here. Why is that? There are fewer people here than normal. Sick. Like Corona sick? No, we're not. We actually don't have Exactly. That's it's, true. It's not. <laughs> I made a funny voice in a class yesterday, and then I got into a cab, and I started coughing because like, I hurt my throat making a funny voice, and the cab driver's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, 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 just made a funny voice in class, nothing to do with corona. <laughs> Other reasons for coughing. Yeah. All right. So the, the idea was that a mitzvah, right, is a limb of Hashem. A mitzvah is a way to be connected to Hashem because what a mitzvah is, it's something that you're doing with Hashem. And so obviously um, loving Hashem and mitzvahs, they go together. I love Hashem. I want to be with Hashem. I want to be connected to Hashem. And a mitzvah is not something I do for him or not something I do for myself, but it's something rather I do with Hashem. So when I'm doing a mitzvah, Hashem and I are engaged in a joint activity. And if we're interested in being together, then that's a bonding experience. And that's the basic idea. Yes? Good? Yeah. All right. Now we're going to make it complicated by going into details. Okay, so we are going to go back into the text and we are going to read from the line um, on the first column, four lines from the bottom, which says, for love is, near the end of the line, do you see that? For love is the. Do you have a text? All right. Where? Four lines from the bottom, there's a little six. Okay. For love is the root. For love is the root of all 248 positive commands, all originating in it and having no true foundation without it. Inasmuch as he fulfills them in truth, he truly loves the name of God and desires to cleave to him in truth. Okay, we're going to stop there. Okay, so that's all we're going to focus on today. If we finish that, then we'll move on to more, but I doubt we're going to finish that. Okay. So... Let's just break this down. It says that love is the root of all the 248 positive commandments. Yes? That's what it says? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
it says that the positive commandments originate in the love, right? See that? It says they all originate in the love. Okay. I'm working in the English. Obviously, the English is debatable, but I'm going to... So when I start explaining things, sometimes the English is precise enough to get the deeper idea, and sometimes you're going to have to, like, fiddle with it. Um, and then it says, Inasmuch as he fulfills them in truth, he truly loves the name of God and desires to cleave to him in truth. So what there's fulfilling mitzvahs and fulfilling mitzvahs in truth. Notice there's... Because yeah, if you're saying you're fulfilling it in truth, then there's a possible fulfilling it. Not in truth, right? Oh, I skipped. It says they have no true foundation without the love. Um, and that's, like I told you last time, that foundation is probably more along, more literally would mean fulfillment. So the love, it's the root of the mitzvahs. The mitzvahs originated in the love. They have no true foundation or fulfillment without them. Um, and then it goes on to say that one who loves, the, the, that because... Um, he who truly loves the name of Hashem and desires to cleave to him in truth. So what does it mean to love? What's kind of love? We're saying you love the name of God. What's weird about that expression, loving the name of God? Uh, why don't you love God? Right, why don't you love God? Why are you loving the name of God, right? Okay, that's an interesting thing. And desiring to cleave to him in truth. What am I going to point out about this phrase, cleave to him in truth? Cleave to him in truth as opposed to hell. As opposed to cleaving to him. Without truth, right? Because if, if, right, again, the same thing. There's fulfilling mitzvahs with truth and fulfilling them without truth, right? So you see, there's a lot of like details here that need to be explained. The Altareb is never poetic in Tanya. Everything is. Yes. The Altareb was one time studying Tanya, and someone asked him, Why are you studying Tanya? He was studying Tanya. Yes. So I asked him, Why are you studying Tanya? He says, There's things here I never knew before. He didn't answer anything. But the author said there's stuff he didn't. Right. <laughs> what are you supposed to say? <laughs> okay. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna first start with love. Okay? And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work through these these ideas one at a time. We're gonna start with love. Okay. What does it mean to love someone? Now we wanna be clear. When we talk about when we talk about defining something, we want our definition to be broad enough that it contains every possible variation of that thing, and it has to be narrow enough that it excludes other things. So we're gonna do a little game. Ready? Can someone define what a game is? It's something that causes enjoyment. Like coffee. No, something you play with that causes enjoyment. What if you don't One second, one second. Something you do that causes enjoyment? Like 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 staying in bed and not getting out of bed in the morning. It's an activity. I feel like that's part of that. Uh -huh. It has an objective. Usually. Like building a house, it's an activity with an objective. That's a game. Is it a game? I'm not. You see the problem? Yeah. Okay. Right. We're done with this game. Right. But you see the difficulty of defining things. Yeah. Okay. Now. Okay, so what we, need, what, we need, what we need to do is that we need to realize that though without defining things, we run into problems that when we're not mutually understanding each other, that happens because we're not using words with the same definition, okay? Um, there's a famous um, a Musr idea, not chassidus, which is that you don't really love fish, and you tell us the person who's eating the fish. You don't love fish. Why don't we, how do we know you don't love fish? Because you wouldn't be eating it. 
because you wouldn't be eating it. Why'd you kill the fish? Right? It's not love, right? Okay. You've heard this before? Yes. You never heard this before? Like, if you love the fish, you wouldn't kill it and eat it? it? Makes sense. Okay. Does anyone object to that idea? That if I loved the fish, I wouldn't kill an idiot. Me, because I love the taste of the fish. That's right. I also object. I think that's. I think. I think that that that's. It gets a point. It gets across an important point, um, and it's good rhetoric. Well, I think there's different kinds of love. Oh, very good. Right. In other words, like this. I do love fish. Taste right. But what does it? What does it mean to love something? What does it mean to love something? Enjoy very much. You want to have a connection to it. Okay. What do you mean by connection? Like I'm like I'm sitting on the chair. Does that count as a connection? So I love my children because they're useful? Yeah, it's in my relationship between you and the fish. That's a chair is an object, it's not a person. But you love the chair. Well, sh- I mean, I don't love this chair because I'm very comfortable. But there are chairs that I love. Because there's a use for it. See, I, I would have preferred if you go back and say, yes, that's a kind of connection. Sitting in chairs is a kind of connection. And there are chairs that you do love. Right? Stronger liking chairs. Like, like for instance, after 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 the Friday night meal, I love the couch. <laughs> right? I want to connect you to the couch. Specifically, right, the, I'm more in like a this position, the couch is underneath me, right? That is a very good state of affairs. Right? Is that I mean that is a kind of a connection, isn't it? Not a relationship. That's true. Notice we're not using the word relationship. And I think it's important not to use the word relationship. Okay? So love is very important. Love is Chassidus understanding. Because Chassidus says very clearly that people love fish. Like, Chassidus is of the view that you, that, I mean, I don't love fish. Uh, salmon, if it's done right, maybe, but like, you know, tuna fish sandwich. But generally speaking, I don't love fish. Lasagna, that's a good thing, but. Okay. <laughs> but you love fish. You love clothes. You love compliments. There's, there's tons of things that you love, okay? Um, because love, you actually forget, love is a desire to have a connection with something. And what makes different kinds of love different is what kind of connection are we talking about, right? What does it mean to have a connection with the couch? Means what? Use it. To s- comfortably. Comfortably, right? Right? Because there are, there, there are kinds of, right, there are kinds of, like, I don't love the toilet. I use the toilet, right? But I don't really love the toilet. Why would you say, I don't like me. I love the couch, but I don't love the toilet. Why? They're both, what's the difference? Well, one is an emotional, like, like you're evoking some kind of emotional attachment, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, there's a kind of an attachment, right? right? The fancy word for this is cleaving, but we'll go with attachment's better. We'll, use, we'll put this another way, right? If I could wave a magic wand, right? Like, and I just, there was no toilets, but I also didn't need the toilet, that would be fine, right? Like, if you could live your whole life and you just didn't need to go to the bathroom, like, just, okay, that's fine, right? It's like, if I, if I never needed to pay taxes and so I didn't need my accountant, that would be great, right? But then there are things that people are like, no, 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 like, keep that around. Like, don't get, don't get rid of the couch. I like having the couch there, right? I enjoy sitting on the couch, right? right? I'm attached to it, right? I, that's a, so it's, there's a connection to it. Like, this keep around in my life. 
There's other stuff that I might be using and they're important, but like if we could circumvent it, that would be fine. What? Yeah. Make sense? Okay. Um, I'll just give you an example. Commuting. There are people that like commuting. They love commuting. Yeah. What? To work. Yeah. Yes. There are people. Okay. Why? Yeah, like for instance, on the bus ride that I have, because I, I, I don't live in Yerushalayim, so I have one of those intercity, bus, uh, intercity buses so that you, you got like, it's a nice coach seat, it's comfortable. Every day. Every day, right? And I'm sitting there, and so like I have, you know, depending on the traffic, say something between 20 and 40 minutes on the bus, right? And that's like, nobody's there to bother me. I can take a nap, I can learn something, I can listen to something, I can think, right? And I also like I, I also find the motion about of like moving vehicles very relaxing. Not everyone does. I'm a bit nauseous, right? So like, yeah, that's a great thing. I'm thinking like, wouldn't it be great if I had a car? Like, no, wouldn't it be great if I had a car because then I don't need to like worry about like stopping and braking and traffic. Like, I, I, I actually quite like the fact that I get on the bus and like I get like 20 to 40 minutes of my own time and like I don't have to worry. And then magically I'm like within walking distance of my job. Like that's great. That's wonderful, right? Okay. Like if you if you told me that like you were to take that away, like no, I want that in my life, right? Now, is that the same thing as my relation with my children? No, but what's the common factor? There's some kind of a connection that I desire, right? Yeah. Okay, so desiring connection, that's love. Right? And connection means that, I, that it's positive experience to me having this thing in my life, not just that it's technically useful. Okay? Some people drink coffee to stay awake and they don't like coffee, right? Some people drink coffee and they actually enjoy drinking coffee, right? There are people like that. I have to do one of them. Right. So which people love coffee? The second. The second. Good? Okay. Now, do I love the fish as a creature capable as a creature that's capable of experiencing pain and pleasure and on its own? Nope. No, because if that was the case, I probably wouldn't kill it, right? That's not what I feel connected to. I feel connected to the taste and texture. Good? Okay. So now, so now, so then we defined love. Remember the definition for love, right? It was kind of unromantic, right? Okay. Now let's ask ourselves, how many kinds of love are there? And I don't mean we're now going to list literally every kind of love. Let's broadly categorize love. Okay. So would you say love for my children is the same as love for coffee? No. Why? But love for coffee is the same as love for lasagna. Yeah. Love for lasagna is the same as love for the couch? Yeah. Broadly speaking, yeah. categorically. Yeah. Yes. Okay, why do you say yes? It's one-sided. Well, I want more specific than one-sided. It's about you and your feelings. Okay, we're going to need to be more specific than that. Objects. Right, they're objects. Yeah. They're objects. In other words, what the, what it, can the connection to those things is merely the experience of interacting with them, the experience of sitting on the couch, chewing and swallowing the food, right? There's an object, and when I interact with that object, I have a pleasurable experience, right? So there's a whole kind of love that basically fits that, right? Some people, right, and we could broaden that from objects to even activities, and we could say it's basically the same thing. So some people love exercising. Why do they love exercising? Right? It feels good, right? Apparently you have to exercise beyond a certain point for those things to kick in, and I just don't ever get to that point. Yes. Which is why I don't exercise. <laughs> um, which is not a good thing, but okay. 
Right? Okay. Now, but 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 what's so so first let's, so so here the the connection is the experience that I have interacting with something or doing a certain activity, right? Okay. Um, what about okay? What about? I'm trying to decide if I should do it, which order I should do this. I'm going to do it in this order. It's a little more controversial and maybe it's less more confusing, but I think it'll have more impact. What about? Someone who loves watching um, movies. Is that the same category as food and couches and exercise? No. I think so. It's not. I mean, you're going to get different. It's a different, like, need kind of being felt. It's not the same. Yeah, it is very different. What's well, the difference? The exercise is feeling the same need. I feel like that's the same. Why? Because movies have people in it? Well, the movies actually don't have people in it, but movies portray people. They give yeah. you the sense of people. Okay, because right, there's a, there's a, there's a range of experiences that I'm just going to list right now, and 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 another range of experiences, and we'll see what they have in common with there separately. Right, empathy, fear, relief. Okay, right, versus um, versus um, things like. Um, Um, tired, energized, um, tasty, revolting. Right? These are different. These are they kind of fit into different categories. Yeah. Okay. What's the difference? The first set of experiences. What, what, how are they different than the second set? They're deeper, right? They, they, they relate to, other, you have to be a different kind of being in order to have those kind of experiences, right? In other words, you would, like let's take a dog, right? Presumably a dog, for argument's sake. Actually, let's not go with a dog. Let's take something that's a little more, even less, more obvious. Let's take something like a chameleon, right? Presumably, right, chameleons, like when they eat the kinds of foods that are like, right for them, that taste good to them, presumably, Presumably, like if there's things that like they find repulsive and disgusting, right? Presumably, chameleons, you know, if they're like sick, there's some sort of like lethargic feeling, right? If they're healthy and energized, then it probably feels better, right? Right? But we can't. Again, I'm not a chameleon, but we can't imagine a chameleon feeling fear at what might happen to somebody for making the wrong decision, like that. Like that kind of thing just doesn't. How would that register in a chameleon's being? Right? Or the relief of, you know, a deep pro of a problem being solved. Those are different kinds of experience. They operate on a different level. Okay. Which is why movies are always about what? People. Yeah, have you ever seen a movie that wasn't about people? Yeah. It was not about people. No, those are also about people. The people just look like animals. Those are also about people. Documentaries about history. No, 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 let's go back. How are documentaries about volcanoes about people? Yeah, that's what I mean. What if it's not about how volcanoes are? How's it still about people? Right. In other words, in order to make a movie, you have to anthropomorphize things. Right. Stop attacking me. The mu like, the music in any documentary, regardless of what it's about 
has drama, has suspense, has relief. In other words, you have to have, you have to humanize the thing you're talking about. Right? Right. Have you ever seen like one of these things about like how like the lion is chasing the gazelle? Okay, so here's the thing. Who's the hero of the story? And who's the, who, That's right, right? So in one documentary, take the same film footage, right? And you put this very like like dangerous and suspense as the lion stalks slowly, slowly towards the gazelle. And then it's very and then, it, then there's, there's this sense of tremendous aggression as it chases, right? And then there's this tragedy that kills the gazelle, right? Or you could do the reverse, right? You could have like the sense of tremendous relief that now the lion has food, right? It depends on there was documentaries about lions or about gazelles, right? So what do you do? You like humanize them and like you make one the hero and one the villain, and like that's how because nobody just watches the dry footage. It's like not, it doesn't it doesn't draw you, right? So there's the drama, there's the human experience, right? There's the adventure, there's the tragedy, there's the comic relief. There's and then you have to figure out like how do you play with that thing, right? And then so you anthropomorphize. Okay, that's a whole different level of experience, right? Right, than sitting on hedges, right? It's you, you're, you're a different level of being, right? Okay, so much so that most people in life, most people, I would say like this: if you told them, you know what really makes life worth living, really, sitting on the couch, the endorphin rush, and you know the the the, the buzz you get eating lasagna, like that's what life is really, really all about. Like, if I have that, I don't need anything else in life. I think most people would say, like, those are nice, but, like, if that's really the only positive content your life has, most of us would think that that's kind of pathetic, right? But if you say, no, in my life, there were challenges, and there were struggles, and there was relief, and there was tragedy, and there was comfort, and there was adventure. <laughs> like, that's a life, right? See what I'm saying? There's a depth there that isn't in the first. Okay. Good? Okay. Now, but are there actually people in movies? What? Are there actual people in movies? They're pretend people. They're pretend people. Like what you are watching is, where you are watching is a simulation, right? Right. You know, if your neighbor, like, is going through a rough divorce while there's comic relief going on in their divorce. Like, that's a real life event, right? But, like, that's not what's happening on screen. What's happening on screen is fiction, right? The people that, that are being portrayed, right, aren't actual people. Like, they're actors portraying people, right? What about a documentary? Okay, so now we run into the issue, right? Because the documentary is doing a lot to heighten the experience of the viewer as opposed to really portraying the complexity of the person and the people and the events that really happened, right? Because you gotta fit the documentary into, let's say, an hour and a half and make it engaging, right? So you are definitely oversimplifying and, char and making characters of certain experiences, right? Whereas the actual real, like, what was it like to go through the Russian Revolution in real life is nothing like what you get in a, in a it's just not, it's not possible, right? So what you're do in other words, what movies have, which is similar to the couch and the, and the exercise, right, is that it's all about your subjective experience and the other thing is just a pure inanimate object, right? When those way back in the ancient world, right, if you experience objects, you like, they have to, they're objects. If you want to experience like real like human drama kind of things, you have to interact with people, right? Now we figured out how to have objects that also 
give you those experiences. Okay, now let's talk about like actual real relationships with people. Any people, not family, not friends, just any, any person, right? There's a whole like, something could be a friendly chat, right? You're talking to someone on the bus, right? Um, there's a whole different set of experiences of just interacting with other human beings, right? And that's fundamentally different, why? Because the other person, right? It, now there's two experiences involved, right? For instance, do you like having conversations with people? Yeah. Yeah. Assuming, okay, only if they're nice. What if it's like, what, what if, what if it's a, what if it's an engaging debate? Is that enjoyable? Then it's fun, right? Okay, right. Not always, but it doesn't always have to be that they're being the most like. like entertaining. Yeah. Entertaining. No, but it, it would be boring. It wouldn't be boring. It wouldn't be fun to talk to somebody if you had the sense like they didn't actually. The, the, they didn't actually mean what they say. There wasn't any thought behind their words. There wasn't any feeling behind their words. They're just like saying. Right. In other words, what makes the actual interaction enjoyable is like there's another mind and you're like in some kind of interaction with the other mind, whether it's adversarial, like in a debate, whether it's exploratory, getting to know each other, whether it's just friendly exchange, it doesn't matter. But there's your mind, there's their mind, there's what you know, there's what they know, there's what you feel, what they feel, and then you're, you're interacting. And that, that's fun and enjoyable. You can't do that with a movie, right? You can observe, but you can't interact with the other mind because there is no other mind. Good? Make sense? That's a whole different level of experiences, right? Okay. So I can love, and the, the one I understand is like, if we were to rank themes in terms of depth, well, how would you put them? The first set would be the most shallow, right? Yes. And then like, the like, thing that we get from like movies and stuff would be like in the middle, and then really interacting with people would be more deeper, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense to everybody? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, what is it that is positive in my mind is the experience that I'm having and the couch, the food, the movie, and the other person are just a means to my experience, right? And all these examples? Yeah? Okay. So therefore, we could, we could say that this kind of love is fundamentally shallow. Whether we're talking about the, the lowest of the levels or the highest levels, it's all fundamentally shallow. In fact, I'll give you one more example. Um, have you ever like felt like you have no purpose in life? No, but like for an extended period of time. Has that ever happened? Yeah. Okay, does that feel good? No. No. Um, if you're a mature person and you feel like you're missing something in life, what should you go do? Yeah, like if you don't have money, you go get me. If you're gonna make money, right? So if you feel like you lack purpose in life, then what should you do? Find some purpose. Find some purpose. So now, why do you love the purpose? Because it makes you feel like you're not lacking purpose. Right, so then you see how it kind of fits in that same category? Mm -hmm. Right. There are people who like are in service of whatever, and it's like it's important and it's meaningful, but really all it's about is that when I'm in the service of this, then I feel good. So it's basically a more profound version of sitting on the couch. Right? Okay. So we have four levels, but all in the same basic category, right? There's stuff that I like merely because of how it makes me feel. Some of it's just pure bodily experience. Some of it's about because it's triggering emotions. Some of it's because I'm interacting with people, and the highest one would be, right, feelings of meaning and purpose. But I, but what I, what I, what, what the positive thing that I'm connecting to is my own subjective experience of things. Both. Like you want to do it for that, 
but you were doing it, so could it make yourself not enjoy it so that it's not shallow? No, why, why did you jump all the way to that? Well, I don't know. But like, meaning if you were on purpose also because of the purpose, but we'll it get makes there. you feel good. So? Like I'm not, I'm not sure what you're asking. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just categorizing things. You're jumping to like, what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to do anything. No, I'm just the categories and saying, what if it's both? Then is it shallow? Then it's both categories. Like, people are not like robots that have just one function, right? You can you experience multiple things simultaneously? Yeah. Can you both feel empty and shallow because you're spending your time watching some corporation and um, production of light and sound, and at the same time be really engaged in what's happening to the fictional characters? Okay, fine. So you can have complex. You can be complex. You're not a mouse. You're allowed to have complex experiences. Okay. Um, what about my friends? Let's move to a whole different category. What about my friends? Well, what's a friend? Let's start there. What's the definition of a friend? First off, how many friends are there mentioned in the Torah? In the Chumash? In the Chumash? Oh, in the Chumash. In the Chumash. In the entire Chumash. From Genesis till Zaysa Bracha. Yeah? No. There's one friend. There's only one actual person that says he was his friend? One. One friend. There's one friend. That was his friend, was it? Doesn't say they were friends. Yeah, that is. No, like he's like, who do we talk about? I'm sorry. Rashi. Rashi's the one who says that he is friend. Right? Yeah, that just means it's another Jew. There's actually text two people that says this person and like introduces the character. This guy was this guy's friend. Like that's Bill and Buck are not friends. They hate each other. Okay. Um, there was a there was a man is known in English as Adul. What? That's not in the Chumash. That's not in the Chumash. Yeah, Tanakh has tons of friends. Everyone's friends in Tanakh. Um, or killing each other, one of the two. There was a man, there was a man named the Adulami, the Adulamite, and he was friends with Yehuda. No one has friends? No one has friends, just doesn't mention everything. Yitzchak lived 180 years, it mentions almost nothing of what he did in his life. Yehuda had a friend who was known in English as the Adulamite. Adulamite. Yeah, the story of tomorrow. So, so there's a story. Basically, Yehuda does something that he really shouldn't have done. Okay? And um, let's just say it involves a woman and the payment. And now he needs to pay her. And she's gone. And so what does he do? He goes to his friend and tells him what happened and says, can you take care of this for me? So from here, uh, I believe it was the Kotzker Rebbe said we learned what a friend is. A friend is someone that you can tell people, tell what you've done that's embarrassing and ask for help, and, and trust that they'll help you and not think bad about you for it. So now I'm getting asked, your friends, right? There's people like you enjoy interacting with, but those are not your friends. Your friends are the people, like someone, someone's asked the Hasidic Rebbe, he's like, what's a Rebbe? He said, a Rebbe's a friend. So what, what, I have lots of friends. He says, really? Next time it's like a dark, you know, rainy night, I'll put on really like ripped clothes and start knocking on your friends' doors and tell them you just killed somebody and you need help and see how many friends you have. <laughs> I mean, like, like a friend, like, like, I don't know, like, I have friends. You know how I know I have friends? Just give you an example. I, mean, I, have, I have a friend. So, I have a friend of mine. I had a baby. And the bris was on sukkahs. So that means we had to have the bris in the sukkah. 
I have a big courtyard. So, anything where I may do the bris, like I can rent a sukkah from a shul, it's a big thing. I have seven children. I'm saying, or your friend did. No, I did. Okay. Okay. And so, so he says, you know, why don't you have the sukkah in your, why don't you have the bris in your, in your chutzr, in your courtyard? You've had a lot of rooms. Like, because, like, my sukkah is very small and I can't fit in room. He says, not a problem. Take care of it. Comes over, like, and um, he built me a giant 30 square meter sukkah. Why? Because he's my friend. Right. Now, are there levels of friendship? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. We're close. And it, was, it wasn't like one day he just like decided, like, we're, like, we're close, we talk, we, we, right? Like, he needed money, like, he needed money, like, just, I gave him money, like, a lot of money. Right? But these are things don't make you friends. These are things because you're friends, right? So you're, so there's someone in your life that you can turn to what, for what you need, for what's embarrassing. You can trust them to take care of things because they care about you. Those are your friends, okay? Everyone should have two or three friends in life. Who said that? I don't know who said it, but it's true. You're saying that. <laughs> That's right. Unfortunately, many people don't have any friends. They've done surveys. Many people don't have friends. What? There are many people who, well, they think, like, they do surveys, they say, like, if you, like, they do surveys, they're saying, like, what? Should, but it doesn't always work out that way, unfortunately. But I want spouses and children we're going to do as a separate category. Just doing friends right now. Okay. What? Okay, so here's the thing. Why do you love your friends? Why do you why, why do you love your friends? Because of because of what they do for you. But now we have to be ah no because here's the thing here's the thing you can say something and totally miss miss the point. Okay. You're not loving your friends because in essence you're wonderful. No, that's not that's it's what they do for you. But the thing is, it's not like a technical thing. Like the garbage man does stuff for me. I don't love the garbage man, right? Okay. It's because of what they do for me. They care about me. They're interested in my welfare, right? I sense those. It's not that he's not my. I don't love my friend because he built me a sukkah. That's not why I love him. I love him because of how he feels about me that motivated him to build me the sukkah. Words, why do I love him? Because he loves me. And what he does reflects that. And then why does he love me? Right, and so there's a very big difference between loving friends versus loving how, you, how other things make you feel. Right? Which is that what's happening now is that the love of one is, is arousing and reinforcing the love of the other. And so what happens if this continues over time? How do, what happens to these two people? They become closer. I want to be more, I want, I want this person more connected to this person. Why? What about them? Because I feel how much they want to be connected to me. So I want to be connected to them. And they feel how much I want to be connected to them. So they want to be connected to me. And then, right? So I accepting of them, I'm compassionate towards them, I go out of my way for them, I cry when they're suffering, I take 
joy when the, when things are going well for them and they have the same feelings towards me and when we feel that in each other we feel that coming from each other then you become closer and closer that's what friends are so yeah it's what he does for me but it's not like a technical oh he built me a sukkah that's why that's why I love him oh so here's the thing here's the thing I have another friend who has a friend who got divorced I'm an acquaintance with this guy, but I'm not really his friend. So he got divorced. He was like a big, famous person in, in, in his community, and he got divorced. And divorce was, was ugly. And um, after a while, like he, he mentioned this to my friend. My friend told me, he's like, he said, you know, the good thing about going through an ugly divorce is you discover who your friends are. Because it turns out that once, like, like there's just like not the whole rapping and trappings around it's just him and his life and who he is and it's and he can't be there for other people the people that genuinely care about him the people that genuinely feel that he cares about them and they care about him those people stayed his friends those people stayed in his life and what happened to everyone else they wandered away friendship 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 is by definition dynamic in that how I feel about the other person depends on how they feel about me and how they feel about me depends on how I feel about them. And so if everything's in alignment, my desire to be closer to that person is resulting because of their desire to be closer to me and then it builds and we come closer to closer together. But if that's not what's happening, then it turns out that was never what's happening all along. That like, I found you entertaining, I found you inspiring, I admired your success, but it turns out like, like there wasn't that actual like, you genuinely care about me and want me in your life and therefore I want you in my life and, and and so what ends up happening is that in real friendships, sometimes being connected to them doesn't feel very good because they're going through a rough time. And you, you get to vicariously experience all that pain and all that discomfort. And it's not pleasurable. It's not fun. And there's not a guaranteed happy ending at the end, like the end of the movie. Or that it's ultimately just like fiction so you can like turn it off. It isn't like that. And so people, when like being connected on that level because you love me and I love you and so we're, we're, I want you to be part of my life, you want to be part of my life, as life gets messy, fewer and fewer people are actually interested in that. It's so, so you can say, broadly speaking, yeah, why, why do you love your friends? Because what they do for you. But what is it they're doing for you? What they're doing for you is wanting to be part of your life, wanting to care about you, wanting to be connected to you. So you want to be connected to them because they want to be connected to you. And then the question is, what are the limits to that? At what point is it, are you too different? Are you too estranged? Is it too painful? Is it life too messy? You know what? I don't want to be part of your life. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to lose sleep over what's happening with you. Right? Friendships are are are, are 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 intertwining two people's lives, and has all sorts of manifestations. So, what's the limit of friendship? The limit of friendship is I only really love my friends to the degree in which that I feel like like they love me. <laughs> That's basically how friendship works. So we're either growing closer together or. We're growing apart, right? I, either you really care about what's going on in my life or you find me entertaining and intriguing. And when I'm no longer so entertaining and intriguing, then you're not interested in me anymore. By the way, is it always easy to tell who's your friends? No. But the more ups and downs and backs and forths in your life, you can start telling, oh, this person really is my friend because they're still there and I'm still there. So we must be friends. Make sense? That's a different kind of love altogether. Good? Okay. Now, that, now, what about a mother 
and a newborn baby. Does mother love a newborn baby? Yeah. Okay. What's different about that? That there's something that's really exciting. What? Yeah. They don't have a relationship. They're not going to see. No, they don't have a relationship. Have you ever seen they're newborn babies? Not. They have no relationship. Okay. Oh, because it's her child. This is something else entirely. This is a sense of, I want to be connected to you because if I'm not connected to you, I'm not myself. Right? In other words, being connected to someone else is in fact being true to yourself. That's a whole different kind of love. Right? So broadly speaking, we can divide love into three kinds, okay? There's the kind of love where what I love is an object. There's a thing and it makes me feel good. That's one kind of love. There's another love where I love somebody, right? What does it mean I love somebody? That I want to be connected to them and I want to be connected to them is a response and is weakened or strengthened by the degree to which they want to be connected to me, right? Those are friends, right? And there's a different kind of, I want to be connected to someone, why? Right, because if I'm not, right, in other words, by being connected to them, I'm being connected to myself, I'm being true to myself, and I'm disconnected from them, I'm not being true to myself. Yeah? Okay. Good? Which kind of love makes you feel proud? No, not proud of the other person, proud that you have the love. Like, you ever seen, like, parents walking around feeling, I'm so proud that I love my children. Really? You're proud that you love your children? Like, that's an accomplishment? You feel accomplished? You're proud of yourself that you have good friends? One second. No, no, I'm asking like this. I'm asking like this. Not about the people. If you, if, if you, you're not, like, it's kind of hard to, like, be proud of yourself that you are sitting on the couch, right? I mean, guess somebody could. If you love healthy food, you're proud of yourself. Okay. What if you? What if you're really devoted to a purpose and you're living a life of purpose? Those people feel kind of seem feel like they're proud of themselves. Isn't it something that I love and you can't be proud of it? Sure, you could. Why? Why not? Because it's it's not coming from you working hard or anything. It's coming because you love. Here's the thing. Remember how like I took that first category and I made it and broke it up into the little things. So there's more shallow. There's more deep. Okay. And remember in the first category, it's all about you? Yeah. Okay, so if it's all about me, and I'm higher up on that chain, yeah. then can I take pride that I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deeper person? No. I can't? Because I'm a deeper person. People don't, people don't like, like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a deeper person. Like, okay. I live a life of meaning and purpose. Sure. For sure, right. Does that mean that makes sense? No. It, it does make sense, and I don't want to explain to you why it makes sense. Notice, very few people are like, I'm proud of myself because I enjoy sitting on the couch, right? No. But when you get to like somebody's feeling like I'm, I feel really proud of myself because like the thing that's really important to me is like saving the environment. That's what I really care about. Well, then that only if you were, meaning only if originally that wasn't something that you were, and then you made yourself out that you were born and you love saving the environment. Something to be proud of. Why? What makes people? You didn't do anything. People are gonna be proud of things that they didn't no, do. No, you could. I'm saying this is not just making sense. Fine, but I'm asking about psychology, not yeah, about rational. Okay, yeah. right. But nobody, but nobody, but now, like, if you're, here's the thing about friendships and also being connected to people that you have the energy. That actually, by definition, makes you humbler. And I'll explain to you what I mean by humble versus proud. Okay. <clears throat> what does a humble person think about? Others. What? Others. Others. What does a person who's proud think about? Okay, so like if I have a friend, right? 
And they really are my friend. I'm just proud. You don't mean I'm proud of something. You're saying I'm proud in myself. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm feeling the experience of pride. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. No. So, a person, like, if a person, if a person has a really good friend, right? So then, like, where does their mind wander off just freely? They really have this good friend. They really love this friend. Where's their mind? What? Yeah. What's going on with my friend? Are they okay? Right. That's a, so. So they're they're more. So they have more humble mindset. If somebody, if somebody is like, it's like I don't watch movies. I watch films. Ugh. Right, but but what's going on in their mind? What's going on in their mind is like, I derive pleasure from deeper things, and therefore I am a higher level human being. Right, it's not the same thing as like. Loving your friends. Like loving film and loving your friends is very different because loving film makes you pretentious and loving your friends makes you humble. You see what I'm saying? What? Because it, 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 right, because what you're, right, you're loving, the, 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 you're, you're loving someone else as a someone else because the thing about them that you love is how they feel towards you and how they're connected to you. So you get into their mind. You care what they're experiencing. Right? So what I want us to understand is like this. There's love which is I want, I want us to think about the, on, 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 on two different dimensions. There's this idea that love can be shallow or superficial versus deep and profound, right? Like, say, loving sitting on the couch versus loving having a deep meaning and purpose. But even if you're on that, even if you're having, like, this very deep love, like, I love having a purpose meaning life, you're still wrapped up in who? You. In yourself. Whereas loving in the way of loving friends and certainly loving when you have a sense that's connecting someone else as being authentic, true to yourself, then that takes you out of yourself. It, make, it makes you more of a humble person. Yeah? Okay. So which one is he referring to when he's talking? What kind of love, if we had to put it in this framework, what kind of love does he mean loving of Hashem? I love Hashem. So what does it mean? Like that Hashem is like a couch and just, oh, so wonderful to be with Hashem. Oh. Like that kind of love? Like Hashem, he gives purpose and meaning, and now I'm living a meaningful life because I'm God. Is that what he means? No. No, why not? Yeah, because that's all about you, and you become more self-absorbed, more proud of yourself, more, right? And as the Gemara says, Hashem says, I can't dwell together with someone who's arrogant, someone who's pretentious, someone who's into themselves. So that's not what we mean by love for Hashem. So what kind of love are we talking about? It's got to be, it's not that kind of love. It's not loving something. It's more like loving someone. Right now, which kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about a love which is like a friend or a love like the mother and the infant? The mother and the infant. No. No, like a friend. Like a friend. Okay. We're talking about the love like a friend. Okay. Because this is talking about a love that comes from knowing Hashem from appreciating his greatness and his goodness and who he is. And the more I know who he is, the more I want to be involved in his life, the more I sense, right? That's the kind of love we're talking about, okay? And the reason why I want to, so, so it has the quality of making you more humble. It's not about, I'm so great because I love Hashem. That's not what it feels like. But it also, it's, it's complicated. It's not like the simple, Right? The later on in Tanya, we do talk about the kind of love. It's like it's like you and Hashem, like if you have this essential bond and, and everything. There's a kind of simplicity to that. The love we're talking about here is no, like Hashem is is, is wonderful and Hashem is great and Hashem is good and I have my own sense of how I know why that's true and therefore I, I, and I really care about who He is and and His being involved in my life and my being involved in His life. I want, and therefore it's very rich, and it's very different from person to person. 
We're not talking about the, you know what it says, like, in Chassidus speaks about how, like, deep down every Jew has this little godly spark. We're not talking about that. We're talking about my personal sense of God being good, and therefore, of course, I want God in my life. I have a sense of how good my friend is as a person. Right? He cares about me. I can see his goodness. I feel his goodness. Of course, I want him in my life. Of course, I want to be there for him, right? It's a much more individualized love. It's a love of a relationship. It's not like a built-in essential, you're a Jew, you love God. Does that make sense? Okay, so how I feel this love and how you feel this love are going to be a bit different. The one thing we can say in common is that it only it comes because I have a sense of what makes God good that resonates with me. And therefore, obviously, I want to be closer to him. I want him more in my life. I want to be more attached to him, right? In the way that, like, when you sense someone else's goodness, usually the way you sense their goodness is because of the care they show for you or for other people that you know. And so you want to be more connected to them. You want to be more involved with them. Now, why is this? That's what we mean here by love. Now, why does it say that you love the name of God? That's a weird thing, right? You love people. You don't love their name. Why does it say you love the name of God? Anyone know the answer to this? I will tell you. So let us talk about the name of God. Okay? The name. Like the name. Like capital T, name. Like capital T, tetragrammaton. Gotcha. Okay, so the name of God is spelled with a yud, followed by a hey, making lines so it can be erased, okay? Followed by a vav, followed by a hey. And now, because it's separate. Yeah, as long as it's separated. Now I can erase it. Okay. Good? Okay, now, why is this God's name? There are many reasons. But according to Kabbalah, the reason why this is God's name is because a name is something you need for others. Right? right? Like, I don't, like, I'm Rabbi Kaufman. I don't need to call myself Rabbi Kaufman. Like, I know who I am, right? Other people need the name, right? So, the name of a God is not something that is intrinsically true of God himself, but how God is manifest and revealed to be available to others, okay? So, to use that in the example of a person, um, you know what's really cool about having children, like, when they're born? You know what they don't have? Names. That's true. What else they don't have? <laughs> Personalities. And opinions. Aren't that cool? Because, like, you know they will. And it's, like, an interesting thing to talk about with your spouse. Like, what kind of person is this person going to be? Like, they're there. And, like, there's a person, right? People have personalities, but they don't yet. And then what happens is they start, like, like, I have a three-year-old. So, like, when he was one, we didn't realize how aggressive he was as a person. And now it's like, I have seven children. Like, I don't remember having a three-year-old this aggressive. Like, he's, like, you know, whenever, like, if something doesn't go his way, he's, like, like, Joseph puts up his hand, like, he's threatening me. You have to do what I say because I raised my hand. And so sometimes I go like this. He's like, backs down. But like, you couldn't tell that when he's like six months old. Right? So now I have a one-year-old. He's turning one next week. No, this week. He's turning one this week on Wednesday. And so it's like a whole thing. Like, we're, He's starting to develop a little bit of personality. He's starting to see like, I'm like what kind of person going to be. And then as they grow up and they get older, they go to I'm like, what kind of person going to grow up into be? Right? It's a whole thing, right? So... In a sense, his, Hashem's name is like his personality, his character, the part of him that we can know, get to know. Okay, and more specifically, okay, so this marker is not very, it's 
Only the black really works. Only the black really works. Okay. Only both the black. Okay. So the yun is anyone is anyone not okay with me writing in Hebrew? I don't know where everybody's skills levels are. What? Everyone's good with Hebrew letters? Okay. So the yun represents. And then the hay represents Bina. And the other hay represents Midos. And the last hay represents Malchus. Which is Hashem's personality. He has wisdom, he has understanding, he has emotions, and he has a sovereignty. Wait, where is the set? Where is the set? Like everywhere in Kabbalah. <laughs> I've never seen this order. They have this in the Who learned about with Mr. Durham? Yeah. 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 Yeah
Okay. Good? Okay. So. Good-ish. Good-ish? Okay. Is there anything else to do, or is it Ah, so that's what he says in chapter three: is that you have to, you have to, you have to get to know Hashem with your mind. Yeah, this is you know here. The more you know Hashem in a real way for you, the more you're going to feel this love. What? The more you feel him in your life. That's right, and the more you're going to want him in your life. Right. So is it not about knowing? Well, yeah, because what? What? So let me think here. What do you mean by knowing? I don't know you very well, right? You sit in the class, you have a certain level of you know, interaction in the class, right? you ask certain kinds of questions, you have a body language, and from that I have a kind of a sense of who you are as a person. But it's in a very narrow sense, right? Like if someone were to ask me, like, you know, like, like uh, how would you, rec- would you recommend the, for a shidduch? Like, I don't know, and she sat in class and she asked decent questions, and like, I don't know, like, I don't know you. On the other hand, like there are people that I really, really know, and some of the people that I know, like I don't really want them in my life. Like I have a neighbor, like, like, it's fine. Like you, you can stay over there, and I'll stay over here. Like it's okay. And then I have friends, like people that genuinely, like I know them. I know what bothers them, and like, like, and and and, and I see how much they care about me, and how much, and that makes me care more about them. And, and there's a real thing. And so, so knowing is there has to be some level of understanding in knowing for sure. But it's not about pure academic understanding. It's about really when you like when you say like I really know him. Right? He wouldn't do that, because I know he wouldn't do that. Like that yeah, so you, you spent some time like putting together the puzzle of that person in your head right. in a real way. Right. So if you have that with Hashem and each person in their own way, that the greatness of Hashem and the goodness of Hashem is something that's very clear and real to them in their life, then obviously they're gonna feel like, yeah, they want they, they want to be closer to Hashem, they want Hashem more in their life and, and they feel humble. There's more of a thought about about what's going on with Hashem and, 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 and how wonderful Hashem is and how good Hashem is and, 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 and not like, I'm so amazing because I'm serving God. That's not what's going through the person's head. Right. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. And, and the altar was saying, that's what brings a person to positive mitzvahs. Okay. Now, what does it mean that something is the root of something else? This is a concept that shows up a lot in Chassidus. So we spoke about love and loving the name, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're ready to move on to the root. What does it mean that when we say something is the root of something else? Like it comes from there? Yeah. So isn't then God the root of everything and the source of everything? Yes, yeah. So isn't it kind of pointless to say, well, that's the root of this, and this is the root, like they just, it's all, it's all God. So you just like close the book and be done. What do you mean? Well, I mean, if God is the root of everything, right? Yeah. Then there's no point in saying, well, the root of this is love, the root of this is fear, the root of this is this level. Yeah, because like ultimately he's just the source of everything. So just like go right to God and be done. In fact, isn't it a bit idolatrous to stop somewhere along the train and say, the root is here? Like I'm not gonna go all the way up to God. It doesn't Well let's think I mean, often in Chassidus, it's good to like go back to like the physical thing and work from there for where the root word was borrowed from. So trees have roots, right? What are the trees' roots for? Acquiring uh, nutrients. They hold it. But, so they do two things. They hold it right, in the ground, right? A tree without roots can fall over, right? And, right, they, they extract nutrients from the ground, right? right? They, they, in other words, they leach out of the ground their energy, their life. Make sense? That's what trees do? Okay. That's what roots do? Okay. So... When I'm saying that something is the root of something, I'm saying, look, 
this gets its life, it gets its energy from that. Okay. Now, is it true that I would say, let's just use an example, does an air conditioner get its energy from coal? Like you take the air conditioner and you plug it into the coal, does that like work very well? No. Yeah, could you burn the coal? Yeah. Is that gonna give you energy for the air conditioner? Yeah. No, it won't. Try it. Burn some coal next to the air conditioner, see what happens. Not, not, not next to it, it has a whole process. Okay, what's the process? You burn the coal and then what? And then dramatically turns into electricity? No. And then what? So you got a problem here, right? I want to I want my air conditioner to work. Like where and I need it like where is it gonna get its energy from? Burning coal is not gonna work. Burning coal is great for cooking meat, by the way. I've done that. It's called a barbecue, in case you didn't know. You burn the meat, that provides the energy. You burn the coals, that provides the energy to cook the meat. But it doesn't provide the energy for air conditioner. So what do we need to do next? I'm burning the coal, now what? Anyone know? You need to turn it into something useful for the... You boil water. You burn the coal, which boils the water. And what does the boiled water do? It turns to steam. And then what does the steam do? The pressure, it turns a turbine. And the turbine's attached to magnets. And the magnets spinning around make electricity, and that's something that the air conditioner can use, right? So now, where it, so where is the energy? So if we were to speak about the metaphoric roots of the air conditioner, those roots are planted in the electric current, right? That's where it connects to. That's where it can get its life from, right? If you try to get the air conditioner to the energy of the hot steam, or the pressure, or the spinning of the turbine, it's not going to work, right? So the, the, the roots of something is like, this is already in the form, in the state that can provide life for this, this thing, right? Um, to use a different analogy, right? Sunlight is not something you can eat, right? But something that plants can eat, and then you can eat the plants, right? Okay, so when you say the root of something, you're saying like, given what this is, what is it, where does it get its life from? Where does it plug into? Okay. What what feeds it, right? So ultimately, Hashem is the source of everything. But if you not everything just plugs right directly into Hashem, right? If I like if I like say okay, well, Hashem is everywhere, so I'm just gonna like not do anything and, and just like live off directly off of Hashem. Is that gonna work? No. No. So Hashem is not my root. I'm not rooted into Hashem because if I would, then I would just like be enlivened just by Hashem's mere being here. That doesn't work, right? I need to eat the food, right? Get the idea? Okay. So if your mitzvahs are going to be done with energy, they're going to be enlivened, where does that life come from? It comes from what kind of feeling? Love. Love. Does it come from fear? Yeah. Like if you're, if you're filled with the tremendous awe of Hashem, tremendous year of Hashem, is that going to be the kind of thing that can give life to your mitzvahs? No. No. What if you feel a tremendous amount of belief in Hashem? Is that going to enliven your mitzvahs? No. no. The only thing that enlivens the mitzvahs is love. That's why it says it's rooted in love. The love is where it draws its nourishment from. So now we have to think about why is love the thing that gives energy and positive mitzvahs as opposed to anything else? Why is it... Our love or we need to love? Yeah. Why is it that if I want my mitzvahs to be full of life, they need love. Why can't they have fear of Hashem? Why can't they have a moon in Hashem? Why can't they have a, like? Why is it love? Why is it about love? Yeah, what is it about love that that gives life to mitzvahs? Because love is what we said before, which is. Well, let me ask you a question. But I feel for Hashem. 
and Hashem tells me to put on tefillin, am I going to do it? Yeah, but it won't have life or same life oh, here. and reverse, okay? The reverse, right? If I love Hashem, am I going to eat pork? No. No, but that's not going to give life to my not eating pork. There's this idea of like the, infusing it's infusing it with something. So we have to understand that idea. What does it mean to infuse with something? Or the way the altar puts it earlier, it's enclosed. The actual love is clothed in the So, if they did um, go somewhere where they were wanted to go, you know, they're going, like, I don't know, to the store, going to school, going to trip, whatever. Like, they get from point A to point B. They have to walk, right? If the child wants to be where they're going, how do they walk? The same way they walk if they're just normally walking? No. No. They run. They run, right? There's a highest, there's an energy in how they do it, right? From the outside, right? Yeah. Okay. Red Bridge one time stayed up all night. And so because you're excited to do the lulav. And he started to rise and he took the lulav and he made the bracha and he took the bracha and he took the bracha and then he realized that his hand, left hand was full of what? Because was in a glass case. Now how is it possible for a person to stick their hand through a glass case? Grab an esrog, do the mitzvah, and he didn't just like do the mitzvah and be done. Like he did the mitzvah, like it was drawn out, and only then realized that his hand is bleeding. So he was so focused on the actual mitzvah. Okay, now what does that mean? He was so focused on. Right. It's like, right. In other words, that there's 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 this energy in what he's doing. Right. It's not like he's like it's not it's not that he's focused in the sense of mental concentration. Right. He didn't notice. Right. Like, sometimes if you're watching a very good movie and you have to go to the bathroom, you don't realize it because you're so into what's going on. So when a person feels, I was just on the word feel, feels this, I want Hashem in my life, right? In a real way. Like, I, I have a sense of who He is. I have a sense of His goodness. I have a sense of His greatness. I want to be closer to Him. That feeling actually transforms the experience of the mitzvah. Like, when you're doing the mitzvah, it's not the same thing. You're, you're, you're not, it's not because I love Hashem, therefore I'm doing the mitzvah. That's just not the, that's not the right way of thinking about it. It's that the love actually like flows into the action. And what if, so what happens, what, what can you now say? If a person is deciding to do a mitzvah because they love Hashem, then what can we say? Are they really feeling the love? No. That's right. It wouldn't be a decision. That's what it means. It's rooted in the love. If I have love, right, then it goes on. The mitzvah originates in love. My experience of love translates into the mitzvah. So if, if it wasn't like a natural outcome, would it just be a lower level of love or it's not love? So that is a very good question. In chapter 16, the altar addresses it. And the altar concludes that there is a level of love and it's lower than that. And then chapter um, chapters 18... 19 and 25, he goes, he addresses a different kind of love in doing mitzvahs. There's different levels, but in this level, yeah, like, like, my friend that I mentioned that he likes, he built the sukkah for me and I lent him money and stuff like that, right? Like, so we forbring every Thursday night as a general rule. Not just the two of us, a few friends, right? So like, when it comes like Thursday, right, am I making a decision that I should call him to find out, are we forbring and if so, where? Right. Is that like is that a, is like I'm making that decision or is that like a natural like right? In fact, I have to do the opposite because I just know him and I know that he's the kind of person that doesn't make plans like in the morning about what's going to happen in the afternoon. <laughs> so like I'm ready Thursday morning or Wednesday night to already like call him like what's going on. 
and I know it's pointless, and I have to actually stop myself because it's pointless because you can just respond back like, we don't know yet. Right, but you see that? So when you want to be with somebody, when you care about like connecting to somebody, right? What you're doing flows from the from from how you feel, and it infuses how, and then it changes how you do it. Yeah. So if you love Hashem, yeah, if you love Hashem and you're lighting Shabbos candles, right? Then lighting Shabbos candles is something like you, you like you, you want to do, and like you're waiting to do, and it's like you're not allowed to do it yet because it's too early. So you're like you're anticipating. And then when you go light the Shabbos candles, right? Somebody who's watching you would be like, wow, you're like, they're really into what they're doing. They can tell. Right? So is he talking about this idea that's like more like, I'm a religious Jew and therefore I love God and therefore I'm gonna like, that's not what Dr. was talking about. That's what it means the mitzvahs are rooted in the love. Right, because because you're not you're not in any way thinking about yourself and what you're doing and what you're accomplishing. Right, it's like if you tell a little kid, right? If I tell a little like my, my son is like like you wanna you wanna you wanna cook schnitzel right now with me. So, assuming that you know he's like in his normal mood, of course he wants to cook schnitzel. He's very excited. He jumps up and like comes to the kitchen, starts opening things, and like you can tell he's into it. Right. That's what Alter was saying. That's what that's what I mean. When we say the mitzvah is rooted in the love, is that the love flows? The love actually naturally brings you to do the mitzvah, and the love is actually something you're experiencing within the mitzvah. So the mitzvah is an entirely different kind of an event. So is that why you have an issue, like that's why these, like as long as you're loving something else and God, right? Right. That's why. Like, if I'm loving lasagna, I can't be loving. I, I can be from. Like lasagna, like doing mitzvahs. That's there's no there's no internal problems there, right? right? But it's kind of hard to love lasagna. Like I'm really into things that, and really into. It doesn't work. This is where we're going to start running into problems. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a few more seconds before, and I just want to. Okay. What I want to talk about next time is why love is not the root of negative mitzvahs. Why is it only the root of positive mitzvahs? Seemingly, year is, but but I want I want to do two. Things. We have to explain why the connection between each one and the why does not connect with them. Why is it that my love for Hashem is not considered the root of my of the negative mitzvahs? It's only considered the root of the positive mitzvahs. After all, I'm just gonna let you think about this question. If I love Hashem, am I going to do negative mitzvahs? Am I going to eat pork? No. Okay, but so this question is, and this is what I want to, we want we want to talk about tomorrow. Why is it that positive mitzvahs, which are making the world a better place, whatever that means, I was very vague about that that idea, what means a better place. Why is that specifically the outgrowth of love? Because it is true that love will get me to keep the negative mitzvahs. But we're not going to say that the, love, the negative mitzvahs are rooted in the love. And so what is the connection between positive mitzvahs, which actually constructively improve the world, and my desire to be closer to Hashem? Like, how do those specifically like, form an organic whole? And whereas, even though if I love Hashem, I'm not going to eat non-kosher food, and I'm going to keep Shabbos, and I'm going to like, not do any of the sins I'm not supposed to do, but that doesn't have that same organic nature to it. I want to talk about that difference. Okay? Um, and then we will talk, after that, we will talk about what it means to cleave to him in truth, be attached to him in truth, as opposed to just attached to him without truth. And um, when we finish that, then we'll move on to the next line. That's the, that's the plan. Good?